Hey there, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Thank you for coming back to the program, listening once again. I've got a great guest this week. It's a good friend of mine, Brother Brett Hickey from the Denton County Church of Christ. He works with me here in the Dallas area. He does a lot of traveling as well and hosts a television program called Let the Bible Speak. A few weeks ago, Brett gave a Bible study on a Sunday morning called Grace Reigns. And that sermon was just a very powerful presentation to listen to. And so I wanted to invite him on the show and kind of talk about it and have a conversation about grace and how powerful it is whenever it rains in our life. So let's listen in now to a good conversation with Brother Brett. I'm here with Brother Brett Hickey, an evangelist for the Church of Christ. You worship with me at the Ditton County Congregation, and we work together. We have for about the past year and a couple months, so it's been an excellent time for me to uh, work with you, to learn from you, etc., and I'm thankful that you've joined me in the Backyard Studio. Um, Yesterday, you gave a sermon at our congregation called Grace Reigns, and I'm really interested in... I guess that phrase of grace reigns because I wouldn't normally put that noun and verb together. Uh, in fact, we've talked about it a little bit since then. Um, but I was wondering if you could help me understand what exactly you mean by the phrase grace reigns. Yeah, uh, Jonathan, it's great been been great working with you at the Denton County Congregation. Uh, you motivate me with your energy and your zeal, and it's been great to work together. And uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity to talk more about grace reigning. You know, in, my, in Romans chapter 5, verse 14 through 21, is this uh, passage where that phrase, grace reigns, comes up. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like you. It, it really hadn't dawned on me until recently. And it, it helped me change my approach to the topic of grace. Right. Um, in Romans 5, verse 14, he talks about death reigning. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. And uh-huh. of course, when we think about what was happening um, from Adam to Moses and even beyond, we think about death. And death is the result of sin. Right. And sin was really what was reigning. And everybody was dying as a result of sin. And then, you know, we have the animal sacrifices and it's blood, blood, blood. And it doesn't ever seem to really, especially as we get to the New Testament, it didn't really seem to get him anywhere. Uh-huh. And then um, we come to Christ. We get to Christ. And, of course, he had to die. He had to shed, shed his blood as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh-huh. But uh, different from all those other lambs, this lamb rose from the grave. Right. This lamb conquered death, and so now life and grace reign. And grace, of course, is the favor of God. Mm-hmm. It's a favorable disposition, and so God's always had his, his people, but now we, have, um, we don't have the same cloud hanging over us that they had back then, and we have Jesus, and we should have a lot more positive existence than God's people had back in in that day and time. Something that really sticks out to me in the phrase grace reigns, you know, is that idea of of a king or a kingdom, the concept of something being in power. And 
I want to comment on a phrase that you just mentioned about, you know, whatever happens, something greater is uh, reigning within us or that something is, is, I guess, more powerful than that which is in the world. And you brought up how when bad things happen in life, uh, we, we can have a good mindset knowing that grace reigns or that we live in a, the age of grace so that if a person in my life, uh, maybe a relationship is ruined, if an opportunity is lost, whatever the um, trial might be, knowing that grace reigns is a great source of comfort. And you brought up Paul and some of the trials and the afflictions that he had to endure. I'm wondering if you could comment on that and some of the scriptures that go along with it. It's always, you know, been hard for me to grasp how the Apostle Paul could endure so much. Mm. And still, it's like nothing can slow this guy down. <laughs> and he's so positive. He's, you know, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18, he talks about, you know, his light burdens. Right. And, um, and he's com- contrasting that to the, the weighty blessings that we have throughout eternity and even to a certain e- extent in this life. Mm-hmm. And how does he keep this perspective after he's just getting beat down? time and time again you know there was no such uh, phraseology back then as ptsd but when you go right. down through that list of what he endured and some of those are more general and some of those are more specific the the different beatings the time he spent in prison the whippings um man it's like the devil was constantly attacking him but you know he just kept getting right back up and how was he able to do it i'm convinced that he sees he saw something that it's like maybe we're just a little bit oblivious of you know we're listening to the world we're living in the world and we're bombarded with media and we're hearing everything everybody else is talking about in the world and we're caught up in their narrative and and losing sight of the biblical narrative and what jesus came to bring us as the abundant life and key to that is understanding who's reigning and what's reigning if christ is reigning on the throne and we're acknowledging that and we're his younger brothers and sisters then we're we're royal we're a royal priesthood and okay uh, we should be reigning and we're experiencing that grace and that favor but um i think too often we allow ourselves to be short-sighted and to see see as the world sees when we live in the age of grace or the reign of grace um sometimes it seems like we don't appreciate some of the smaller things. And a point that you brought up yesterday that that really touched me was uh, appreciating God's grace that's given to all people, not just to Christians, but, you know, things like the rain, sunshine, etc. So having the little things and the proper mindset towards that to help you get through the hard times. Um, Is that how Paul and, and... other Christians like that, is that how they were able to endure? That even though, you know, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be whipped or beaten. Uh, sometimes when somebody maybe looks at me wrong or they uh, say a snarky comment, I feel like I've suffered for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But that's nothing compared to what they've gone through. So was it just these little things that you know helped them uh, have the proper perspective for grace? Or how did Paul and these other Christians endure it? I think they were just uh, so on fire with who they are and what they were all about that uh, 
they, I don't think they had as many of the distractions. Um, you know, we turn on our TVs or our radios and we see the billboards and we're constantly distracted. Mm. Uh, once he knew Christ uh, and understood who he was and what he was about, uh, he was just all into that. And we got caught, we get caught up in the other things that we think we've been uh, influenced into believing, well, these are things that are important and you've got to be a part of this and you've got to be enjoying this. If you're not, then right. he didn't have any of that. He didn't allow any of those distractions to deter him from, you know, being fully engaged in the work of God. And so all those blessings that came his way, those were bigger. With us, we tend to, we kind of shrink God and the thanks of God in our own mind and we we expand some of the insignificant world things of the world mm -hmm. and that colors our thinking that colors our attitude um this study has been helpful to me uh to start realizing brett <laughs> he, god has a kind disposition to you joey and i were having a conversation about this the other day and and i was talking about our puppies we've got some puppies that are uh i guess three months old oh yeah yeah, they're mutts. We rescued them. <laughs> somebody left them at a cemetery. Somebody in the neighborhood oh. posted about, it, so we went and picked them up. And um, they are uh, wild and they are <laughs> mischievous and they cause some trouble. But they are our puppies. Yeah, and we love them and we have such a favorable disposition towards them that they can get away with a lot of things that. If some other animal was doing this, we're in the front yard and we cross them, you know, we're not going to have the same uh, attitude towards them and our reaction isn't going to be the same. But we have right. this favorable disposition to these puppies that, you know, helps us to be more patient and understanding with them. And I think about, you know, my attitude towards Joey as my flesh and blood son, mm -hmm. you know, and I just love him so much. And I was talking to him about this this morning and I was thinking, um, God, I am a child of God and he's a child of God and I'm an imperfect father, but he's a perfect father and he loves right. me with a perfect love and to have his favorable disposition. Everybody, as you mentioned earlier, gets the rain and the sunshine, Jesus says, Matthew 5, 45. Everybody uh -huh. has the opportunity to go out and, and work and, and make a living and have a home and have a family and all of those things are really um out there it's the grace of god that people have those opportunities but mm -hmm. that's just the beginning those are really that's the right. small things yeah and we get to enjoy the bigger things we uh get to assemble with the people of god we have uh this ability to pray and absolute with the absolute confidence that our prayers are being heard we have a realistic hope of heaven and 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 it's like we're living in a slightly different world yeah if we will realize that that's the world that we're really in, the world where grace is reigning. So even though the grass is greener on God's side, um, as we talk about this, it's easy for you and I who love the Lord to wonder why somebody would walk away from that. Um, and yet it happens. There's people who know God, they know about His grace, they know about His love, they know about the goodness and the good things that are there, and yet they choose to I guess embrace uh, a lifestyle of of sin and of sorrow and away from it, away from those gifts. Help me understand why would somebody leave knowing the goodness and the graciousness of God? 
I guess I might be the wrong person to ask because when I see that, especially with uh, people who have grown up in an environment where they see and experience all these blessings, obviously I stumble and fall, you stumble and fall, we sin. And so we can understand people making uh, mistakes, but to fall and then just to wander off the track, wander off into the far country, um, it's, it's hard for me to fathom why uh, anyone would would do that. I think part of the problem sometimes is perhaps people don't realize when they are in the kingdom mm-hmm. and when they are walking in the light, just how good they have it. I agree. And some of that um, is not something you necessarily will see. It may not something be something you feel. It's something that you are aware of because you read it in the scriptures. I like the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. You know, blessed, and it goes through these lists. Well, blessed are they that mourn. Uh, blessed are those which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You know, you look at that and you're thinking, that doesn't seem very blessed to me. <laughs> right. But, but the point is, God's trying to tell you, you may not realize it, but if this is where you're at, you are blessed. Moses, you know, what he endured, um, esteeming the reproaches of Christ, greater riches than all that Egypt had to offer in Pharaoh's household. And people, I just, I, I don't think, I think they fail to see what they, what they actually have. And as I've gone through this study on grace, I feel like I've been kind of oblivious to this, this thought, this sentiment, this um, presence of where right. exactly I am. So I like to think of grace as this big, giant umbrella and it's not that you know once you're in uh, in the reign of grace that you there's nothing you can do to displease God, but um, at the same time, I think some people have left because they think they just can't be good enough. Mm. They think um, that God is so hard. And God is so, his standards are so difficult that they just can't possibly live up to it. And yeah. perhaps that's um, a mistake on the part of us who are teachers, preachers, and parents and not understanding that, you know, God doesn't expect us once we become a Christian to live a life of sinless perfection. And he understands the great men and women of faith. And we think about Abraham, the father of the faithful. We don't think about a man who is flawless. Right. He had some glaring flaws. And yes, we think he did. about Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and you know, all of God's people were named after him. I mean, these people, David and Bathsheba, you know, they had problems too. But I think sometimes people are harder on themselves maybe than even God is. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me in the parable of the prodigal son, there was an older brother who didn't leave, and he was really the one that had an issue with the, the younger whenever he returned. The father was yes. arms wide open, ready for the prodigal to come back, but the older brother wasn't ready. So, you know, even as I might ask a question that I don't fully understand, how could someone ever leave? Um, I know that I need to have the proper attitude for when they're willing to come back Absolutely. and not, I guess, wave it over them saying, I told you so. Let me, let me read a scripture to you, and uh, 
then maybe we can pivot a little bit in, in this discussion about the reign of grace. But I'd like to read from Titus chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, this passage and others like it uh, teach us that grace brings salvation. I I love uh, that phrase, that the grace that brings salvation, it's appeared to all men, but it's also, there's a teaching factor to that grace. It's teaching us to deny ungodliness. It's teaching us to put on certain characteristic traits. But the concept of grace as a, the agent of salvation has often um, led some to conclude that we're saved by grace alone. And since that language doesn't appear in the scripture, I'm wondering if you can uh, maybe give us a few minutes of edification on the obvious role of grace in salvation but also the, I guess, the limits uh, if we're wanting it to be grace alone. Well, I think it's very important that we talk more about grace. I think one of the unfortunate uh, happenings in, uh, in regard to grace is people have taken hostage the topic of grace and then they've perverted it. Oh. A lot of times when people are talking about grace, that talk about grace, grace, grace all the time, kind of what goes along with that is that once you have experienced grace, that you can do anything, you can say anything, you can live any way, and it really doesn't matter, um, you can't lose that grace, and you can't fall from that grace. And this scripture teaches, Titus 2 verse 11, that grace, if you really understand grace, teaches the very opposite. Right. Um, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts to live soberly, righteously, and godly. When I think about grace and who understood it the most fully, he sure talks about it a lot, the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. And what what is his response to his great understanding of grace? When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, yeah. he's talking about grace, and in the same context, he's talking about how he labored more abundantly than all these uh, wonderful laborers in the kingdom. What did that? What motivated that? It was grace. Mm -hmm. Grace doesn't cause us to just sit back, if we really understand it, and just take it easy and just, I can't wait till the Lord comes back. I'm ready to go to heaven. You know, look at look at our watch. What time (laughs) is it? Um, No, it it ignites a fire in us because we feel this dead, as he talks about in Romans one verse fourteen through sixteen. Now I know it. Now I have this great burden. I've got to get this wonderful news to as many people as possible before before it's too late before it's the too late for them before the clock runs out right i think about paul's words uh should i continue in sin so that grace may abound certainly not you know here's a a fun fact when when we lived in cambodia one of the reasons that local cambodian people uh, buddhists told others not to convert to become christians was because of a lack of morality they would say Christians teach that you don't have to uh, be faithful to your wife or tell the truth mm. or 
um, be sober, etc., which is completely untrue to what the Bible says. But there was an emphasis of you don't have to do anything once you're saved, and that leads to a very carnal conclusion for those who maybe don't appreciate what grace is about. And uh, so, you know, we had a lot of cleanup to do over there, and I feel like the church does have a lot of cleanup to do. And so, kind of like you said, uh, from time to time, we may not appreciate grace to its fullest because we're too busy cleaning up. You know, Jonathan, what you're referring to is is a problem today, but it's always been a problem. Mm. In Jude verse 4, the Bible says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness uh-huh. or lasciviousness, who've turned grace into you can do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. Right. And that's one of the devil's oldest games. It's sad, but, um, you know, Christianity gets a dark mark because people have uh, fallen into that same trap right. in, the name of, in the name of Christ. Help me uh, maybe consider a scripture or two that somebody might use to, uh, maybe if they're listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, but grace, the Bible says that we're saved by grace. And so, uh, you know, Brett, Jonathan, you guys are having this nice conversation and all, but frankly, God's grace is so good that uh, you're kind of taking away from it by saying that grace is leading us to do things, right? We're saved by grace, not by works. What would you say to that? Well, you're going to have to join in next week to see the second part of this conversation. Brett and I will continue this discussion on grace reigns and looking at a very powerful topic of grace, how it can be misused by those who want to make it something that it's not, but also how it's just such a powerful part of the Christian life. And for those who uh, want to be encouraged, then we need to be able to be at peace with living in the reign of grace. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you.